The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Since lockdown, my son said, please, can we go to England? And we only meant to come till Christmas. And then he said, can I finish out the school year here? Did you have your kids back with you? Were you all together? Yeah, that was also a blessing because my kids are 21 and 19 and they're at the ages where they would be, you know, off doing their own thing, especially my daughter was, you know, fully launched. And then all of a sudden she had no work. So she was back here and I think she fostered five puppies and then finally the fifth one stuck. So, and then she got another one. So we have like four dogs now, which is crazy because I didn't grow up with dogs (laughs) and I'm not ever the person you would have thought would have four dogs. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver and welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Priest Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honored and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. My guest today 
is Cindy Crawford. Cindy has been an iconic part of American culture since the early 90s. A supermodel, a businesswoman, and a mother. It's really worth remembering that she was actually given a scholarship to Northwestern to study chemical engineering, when finding great success as a model changed her career path entirely. As she said to me, the good thing about having a brain is that you can take it with you. She's a woman very much in charge of her own narrative and the course that she charts. And it was a real pleasure getting to know her a little better and having the opportunity to chat. So what person, place or experience has most altered your life? I did home birth. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, I tried. I tried. God, tell me. No, that's amazing. (laughs) So in the beginning, right when I got pregnant, I was not planning on it. Both my sisters had had kids. They'd had epidurals. I was like, sign me up. That's the way you have kids. That's the modern way now. And then while I was pregnant, a friend of mine suggested I go to this prenatal yoga class. And the woman who taught the class, Guru Mook, she made me really look at when you're pregnant, you're not sick. You're actually super strong. Mm -hmm. And through some of the people in that class, the idea of home birth, and I met a midwife. And it just resonated with me. And I didn't put pressure on myself. My plan was just to stay at home as long as I could. And if I needed to go to the hospital, I would go. It wasn't like, I'm going to stay home no matter what. And I think for me, having that experience was very empowering. Because when you say to most women, you're like, who delivered your baby? They're like, Dr. So-and-so. I'm like, I did. My midwife was there. She was the assist. Yes. And, you know. My husband was there, but I felt so empowered afterward. And I felt like doing that, even like right after my son was born, I was like, wow. I mean, of course I was holding my baby and so happy for that. But I was also like, you are amazing. You did that. And that was like my first, well, other than being pregnant and there's all, you know, you're saying to your baby and all that stuff, but that was like my first act as a mother. And I felt so strong and empowered that I think that it helped me. Like I came at it from a place of like, I've got this. It's so great. It's such a brilliant place to begin that extraordinary journey. There's something that brings it into focus of our strength, our superhuman strength in growing and birthing a baby. It's magical. Yeah. Because I never really understood how tough I was before that. Really? Yeah. Especially like in that visceral, physical, I mean, it hurts. Having a baby (laughs) hurts for sure. And I just, I didn't come from silver spoon, but like my life in my twenties was very pampered, flying on the Concorde and people doing my nails and hair and makeup and handing me dresses and cappuccinos or whatever. And then that just put me right. It's like as raw of an experience as I think, you know, Yeah, it levels you. It really does. It levels you. And again, I think it takes off unnecessary corners that one might have as a person and really shapes you. Mm -hmm. My mum always said, she was like, I I don't know about reincarnation, but I know we live about a thousand different lives in this one. Yeah. And this is a tricky question of where and when were you happiest? Because there are many different many different lives that you've had, but can you think of what that would be? 
Yeah, I mean, I think today, but if you ask me tomorrow, I would say that day. It's funny. There's a homeopathic doctor out here that I see and I adore. He's like a therapist and homeopathic doctor. And one of his questions he asked is on a scale of one to 10, rate yourself on happiness. And I always laugh because I'm like, but that's not my goal. I'm way more interested in just being present. What is the moment offering and meeting that moment? So if it's sadness, I don't want to be happy in a sad moment. I don't want to be happy in a serious moment. I just want to be present. I guess what makes me happiest is being present. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, I think that if you can get that bird's eye view to see the panoply of a life, happiness has its place. We put so much stake in it. It has such a premium. And the reality is we're not supposed to be happy all the time. If we're happy all the time, we'd be extremely unmotivated. You know, I just stay in bed all day. We also would be completely, you know, tone deaf to anything that's going on around us. And it is interesting because like as mothers, it's like, I just want my child to be happy, but your kid can't be happy all the time. And you, you got to teach them how to be unhappy. <laughs> you yeah. got to teach them how to be effectively unhappy in the world. Right. And that this too shall pass. Yeah. And in that pain or, you know, loneliness or whatever they're experiencing, there's a lesson and there's beauty. And then it also helps you appreciate the times where you really are just unburdened by any of that. Yeah. Do you think that at times in your life, when you've been unhappy, have you consciously mined for the things that will make you feel better? Or did you pretty early on become comfortable with just staying in whatever emotional state you were in? Yeah, I think that's been more developed. It's been a while where I feel like I don't put that pressure on myself to be happy every day. So if I'm not happy, I don't feel like I'm depressed or it's a bad day. Right. One of the things, and I talked about this recently, I did this talk for like the Vatican conference with a friend of mine who's a doctor and we were talking about health and mental health. And I think one of the things I've learned to do effectively is in the way I described it to him was like, okay, whatever you're worrying about, whatever burden you're carrying around, just put it down at night, mm -hmm. get in bed and put it to bed, <laughs> put it in God's hands, wherever you want to put it. You can pick it up in the morning, but you've got to like give yourself a break from it. That's such great advice. I tell my son, just don't let it drive the bus. At nighttime, put it in the back of the bus with the luggage. Yeah. Or I would even get it off the bus. I'd get on a different bus for the night. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of times you wake up and you realize, oh, it's not quite as heavy as it felt yesterday or mm. somehow it resolves on its own. I'm the type of person like that thing when someone calls you and they're like, or text you, please call me back. Like my brain instantly goes to like the worst thing possible. And then you call them back and you're like, they're like something silly. I don't know why our human brains do that. So I'm like the type, I'm like, I got to call them back right away because I don't want to worry about this any longer than I have to. It takes so much more energy worrying than it is letting it go. You're right. I don't know why the human brain does it either. No. The monkey mind. Yes. Maybe it's there so that we can choose something else. And that mm -hmm. if we didn't have that dissonance, we wouldn't choose something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's kind of my philosophy on happiness in general. I like it. It's good. It's stoic, actually. It's stoic and it's absolutely right. Just be present in this decade that we're in. I think that's one of the real gifts is being able to examine the things that work and the things that are still tricky. Yeah. And I mean, look, there's some things about getting older that aren't great, but I think that is really one of the things I've noticed in myself and my friends and my sisters is with age, 
you do kind of know yourself, even mm-hmm. your flaws. And you're hopefully you can even learn to be accepting of those as well. Like the way that we view our friends through that lens of like, oh, mm-hmm. she's this, but I love her anyway, or exactly. she's a little whack. You know, if we can learn to love ourselves in that way too, with all of our flaws and imperfections, but also with all of our wisdom and experience, that I think is a kind and graceful way to age. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, wisdom and grace doesn't get enough play, (laughs) in my opinion. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose, 
I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I mean, there's so many different kinds of love. I mean, what comes to mind is mother to child and that unconditional love. And I feel very blessed that I had that from my own mother. So having that gave me confidence to become a mother myself and feeling like I would be able to give that to my own children. But also, I mean, romantic love and and romantic love that turns into a 23-year marriage Obviously, it grows and changes, but I think for me, in terms of romantic love, what I'm really looking for is to be known, right? Like to be seen and not just the pretty sides, not just the polite sides. Like, I don't mind that part of a relationship where it's a little bit scrappy and vulnerable and roll up your sleeves and let's get into it. By being able to be vulnerable with someone and them still loving you, like that's a great gift. Did that take a minute to work out? Because, I mean, I've got to say, you are beloved by an awful lot of people. I mean, for everything that has come after coining the phrase supermodel, how is that when you are basically loved for how incredibly beautiful you are? How does that <laughs> sense of self grow be, like beyond that? Because it's, it's true, you were growing up in front of everybody and you were mm-hmm. perceived and held in a very particular regard. It must make you question what, what it is people love about you. Well, it's certainly, it puts a pressure on you, like to be Cindy Crawford, like to deliver that. Do you know what, what I mean? It's like, okay, well, I'm doing this thing. Cindy Crawford better show up. And I'm not always in the mood to be Cindy Crawford, right? But that's a thing. I mean, it's, it's an aspect of who I am, but you know, at home, I'm a very different person. And fortunately, my husband, he likes me no makeup you know, jeans and a t-shirt, like that's his favorite. And I think realizing that, you know, kind of me in my most raw self is what my family loves and helped me realize like, that's the truth of my life. And this other thing, which is super fun and, you know, we play with at times and I've been able to take that and, you know, use it as a platform with a skincare line or with my philanthropy, whatever. And I feel, especially, you know, as I get older, Some of me wants to just like check out and be like, okay, I'm done with that whole thing. But I also feel some responsibility to women who are my age that have been following me for 35 years or whatever. I don't want to tell them like, okay, ladies, now it's time for all of us to be invisible. Even though sometimes I might not want to do the photo shoot or whatever. I'm like, but is this helping women see their beauty and the beauty of age in a way? 
And like, I just did a photo shoot and it's funny. I did it for Brazilian Vogue and it was with these photographers who adored. I had never worked with them before, but I knew their work. And the pictures were kind of like sexy, but I was like, look, they can't be coy at all. I'm 55. I'm not coy. Like it can't, it's not that kind of sexy that works at 20 or 25. And I don't even feel that. Like, I don't even, that would be so inauthentic to the pictures. I'm like, they hadn't really thought about it that way. And it was fun. Like us working out together, what that means, you know, it's not like, Oh, I'm holding up a sheet and I'm who, you know, that's not who I am at this point in my life. Do you know what I mean? I'm fascinated because like, people who are on an academic path who make this U-turn into whatever this world that we live in. And I wondered, did you have to find like a new fuel? Like when you had this idea, I mean, Northwestern is not to be sniffed at. Like that's, it's an amazing school. And if you have a really good brain, did you find this whole new career and this whole new world, did you find it as you went along or did you suddenly think that something had been switched on in you? I think growing up, you know, blue collar and not having money, like I was motivated in a very different way than, for instance, my daughter is. So it wasn't like an esoteric decision about modeling. It was like, what? It pays this much, ah, you know? Yeah. And the great thing about a brain is it comes with you. Yeah. So even having an academic brain, I just kind of looked at modeling that way. I brought that with me. I learned, I absorbed, I paid attention to all the creatives that I was around. And it was actually really good for me because I remember my mother, my mother was a very young mother. She got pregnant with my sister when she was 16. Wow. And so I had my sister when she was 17, me when she was 19, two more kids by the time she was 23. So, wow. and my mom was a great mom. But I think there was a part of her that was creative and she never had found an outlet for it. She used to do these paintings on our sheets and pillows. She decorated like the, the part that you saw, like the edge. And I think because she didn't have that place to be creative really and, and get accolades for it, somehow I got the message that I wasn't creative. Hmm. And it's a weird thing for a kid to feel. I guess in a weird way, I was just like, well, I'm not good at art or I'm not good at this. or I. So I didn't have a comfortable place to express my creativity. So I was very comfortable with calculus and, you know, things that where you could add up the numbers and it, you always got the same answer. Whereas creative writing or even Spanish, things that were less concrete and tangible were more intimidating to me. And then I got in this, you know, I call it the fabulous world of fashion and I'm surrounded by creatives and saying, well, you know what? I am creative in the way that I'm creative. I mean, we all are creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the way that school kind of tries to pigeonhole you into, oh, you're an art kid or you're a theater kid or you're a football kid. Yep. But even a lot of the best athletes, the way they approach the game is creatively. I mean, and I don't, I think that modeling actually helped me tap into the creative side of my brain. But of course, I still had like that analytical side as well. Was probably really good, but probably really protected you as well. I love what you said about how your brain goes with you. I didn't think about that, but of course, <laughs> of course so, you take that with you. Yeah. It's just, it's just maybe lighting up different parts, you know? Yeah. Do you feel quite practical about your evolution? Like, it seems to me that you're extremely 
practical about it. And it's like, okay, well, this is this is what's happening now. I am now this person. Mm-hmm. So do you find that emotionally those parts of yourself evolve as well? Someone said to me recently, and this really, I think will answer it, is that when they have anxiety, it's when their actions aren't aligning with their sole purpose. So whenever they have anxiety, they look at like, okay, what am I doing that isn't authentic? I think to your question, it's not that I'm so practical about it. It just like, it, I, my body just knows it doesn't feel right. And it's like, right. oh, like I, like this feels yucky and I don't want to portray, especially I'm not an actress. So I'm only portraying a version of me. Hmm. It's interesting. It, it dovetails back into that notion of presence. Mm-hmm. And in order to know yourself, you have to remain extremely present in each age of your life, in each moment of your life. And so you can be ruthless with being able to smell inauthenticity, I suppose, mm-hmm. and go, that's cool, but that's not for me. Right. Not for me today or maybe ever again. And I think that's part of the reason that my career has lasted as long as it has and has evolved. When I had kids, I did stuff with like a baby company. And then as my skin started aging, I launched, well, we called it age maintenance, but somehow that isn't as sexy as anti-aging, but age maintenance, (laughs) like I'm pretty happy with that. Age maintenance is wearing like a boiler suit and is busy. Yeah. Well, and also it's kind of like, look, I can't erase time and we're all aging, but I can take care of myself as I age. And that to me is like realistic, but somehow it doesn't have the ring of anti-aging, which we all know who can anti-age. Like You can't, but it's, it's, it's really good marketing because I if know. you're anti-something, you're definitely against it. I'm right. definitely but against being, myself dying. <laughs> being against aging, but I'm always like, it's better than the alternative. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. 
we're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. What would be your last meal? Oh, gosh. I love food, but I think it would be more about, like, a shared meal. Do you know what I mean? Like, me nice. sitting alone eating anything would... You know, be good. Like I've had very nice, you know, room service by myself around the world. But I think that <laughs> room service by myself might be my new last meal. Actually, that is really funny. Room service by myself. No, I mean, and I do love sometimes, especially when my kids were little, I loved being in a hotel room, being Me able too. to take a long bath or whatever. But I think now any meal shared with friends or even like now my children's friends where sometimes my husband and I notice ourselves at the grown up table, you know, we have to step back and let the young people talk, but just being around that kind of energy and ideas and the way they think about the world. I just feel so energized being around them too, because you just realize, wow, you know, there's always this forward motion with thoughts and ideology and, you know, what is their normal. And it's, it's interesting. That's cool. I like that you're at your last meal. You're also thinking about, you know, what's coming next? Like what's happening? <laughs> like what's the evolution of this? Like that's very cool to be at what some people would think of as an ending point and be mm. considering what comes afterwards. So in your life, can you tell me about something that has grown out of what you might consider a personal disaster? Yeah. So I lost a brother to leukemia when I was 10. And obviously that was 
tragic for my whole family. Only until I became a mother myself did I realize how it must have affected my parents. But I do think somehow, and I think it's partly the way that my mother explained death to us, even though it was sad, of course, my mother wasn't like, she didn't lay all that heaviness on us. And I think that, I guess I started kind of picturing him almost as like the rocket fuel that helped launch me Hmm. and my family really, we were definitely low, you know, lower class. And so we didn't do a lot of philanthropy, but because of that loss of my brother, my mom, you know, did bake sales or she started a dance marathon where we'd raised $200, but it, it showed me that even though you don't have a lot, you can still be philanthropic. And it kind of started me being interested in philanthropy. Hmm. I'm so sorry that you lost your brother. How awful, how awful for your mama. I remember when I had my son, I was like, called my mom and I'm like, okay, how did you do it? And she said, well, I had three other kids. She's like, you guys were all looking at me like, what's for breakfast and how should we feel? And so she just had to, to do it. It's really great hearing that when you just said very plainly, when she talked to us about death, we don't talk about it. We just don't. Whether it's that we're frightened of it happening to someone that we love or ourselves, we don't have any tools with which to deal with it. And actually it is, it is the biggest part of life other than life itself. And I don't know, in this grieving process that I'm in right now, I, I realized that my conversations before I knew that my mom was sick, that we had about death throughout my life was so helpful and so brilliant and so robust and actually gave me a framework to now be in this grief and to to at least consider. It's so important. Yes. Because I remember going back to school after my, my brother died and like, no one knew what to say to me. Right. It was Mm. like, because the kids were so, they knew something bad had happened, but they didn't know how to approach me. And, you know, Randy and I've lost a few friends that our kids were close to. And I remember calling a therapist and saying like, how do I talk to my kids about this? And she gave me some very good advice because the kids don't even know how to feel. So you tell them ahead of time, like you broadcasted that, that to them, like I have some very sad news because they don't know like death, how am I supposed to feel? It's weird. And they get uncomfortable. So you say some very sad news. And then we say our friend and then you say died. You don't say passed away or you've got to be clear to kids. And then she just said, if you have any questions, you can ask them and only answer the questions they ask. Like they're processing. Hmm. And all of that helped us because a few years later, my husband's father died. And so again, we had had these like little baby levels of talking about death and loss so that when they really lost their grandpa, who they were very close to, we had some experience with, Mm. you know, navigating that. Yeah. I feel like there should be classes in school. Mm -hmm. I feel like it shouldn't be the taboo that it is. I know. And there's something incredibly beautiful and empowering about not being frightened of it as well. No, exactly. You know, I just lost my grandmother at age 98 And I mean, she had an amazing life. She died peacefully. And even to be able to talk about that, like she was ready. I think she was ready. She was tired. But like some people don't even know what to say about that. And it's like, no, she was awesome. Let me tell you about her. You know, that kind of thing. It's really nice when you get to talk about them. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that I like. 
And it also is, it's a way out of just being sad or crying. It's actually, it feels so much more creative and so yeah. much more in line with who that person was to, to talk about them. I found that helps talking about my mom as telling a story about her as opposed to saying how much I miss her or I'm sorry that somebody else misses her. But um, yeah. it's good, it's good to talk. Yeah, and that's how it really, you know, and again, like everyone's beliefs are different, but in that way, they really are still here. Yes. You know, because the stories and the, you know, the the memories are still here. Cindy has an amazing skincare line called Meaningful Beauty. And on June the 21st of this year, it is expanding and launching an age-proof hair care system. So check it out. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoie. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't sister. know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people 
It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.